Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, reduce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note, all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at tryvitalreaction.com. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Mark Raisin. He's the Sid W. Richardson Foundation Regent Chair in Physics. He's a professor of physics, a professor of pediatric medicine, professor of diagnostic medicine. He's all at University of Texas at Austin. And we're going to talk about his recent work. So, Mark, thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, Richard. Yeah, it seems like academically, with all those professorships, you're you're a real slouch. You know, just kidding. Yeah, well, I I added a few in the just in the past few years. Uh, everyone in my family is a medical doctor except for me, but but my revenge is that I'm also getting back into medicine. Very cool. Well, tell me a bit about your your background. What led you to get these different degrees? What what has shaped your interests over time? And then I want to ask you about you know what you're working on today. Sure. Uh, well, I'm uh, an experimental physicist. Uh, my area of expertise is atoms, atomic physics, lasers. And I've been doing this uh, as on the faculty at UT Austin for about 30 years. Um, and until um, maybe 12 or 15 years ago, uh, medicine was not even on my horizon. I didn't see any connections, but it's sometimes funny how things work out. So um, our work on controlling atoms uh, led sort of unexpectedly to applications in medicine. Oh, okay. What, what's your work about on controlling atoms? What are you trying to do right now? Well, uh, for a long time, we have been working on cooling atoms towards the absolute zero temperature. And we used a, a method that most people have used to date. Um, that was um, recognized in 1997 by no sort of the workhorse of, of atomic physics. But I've always been interested in finding new ways of doing things. Maybe it's just uh, uh, being contrarian is, is in my nature. So uh, I wanted to find a more general method than laser cooling. And so we came up with an idea back in 2004 where we uh, made it. Well, first we made a proposal. And the idea was actually quite simple conceptually. Uh, and it was really just curiosity-driven initially. We asked, could we make a one-way wall for atoms? That would be a barrier where atoms could go one way but not back, just like a one-way. Like a Maxwell's demon type of arrangement? 
Well, initially, we weren't really thinking about Maxwell's demon, but uh, the more I looked into this, I realized that what we were doing was exactly Maxwell's demon. And, and in fact, maybe for your listeners, maybe it'd be worth saying a few words about Maxwell's demon, or do you think everyone yeah, knows? Yeah. No, no, please. please so um, so we have to go course. back. Uh, we have to go back in time about 140 years, or now it's actually 150 years, to the great scientist James Clerk Maxwell. He was the man who uh, unified electricity and magnetism and light, and he was Einstein's hero. So that tells you how important he was. Uh, Towards the end of his life, uh, Maxwell was very interested in thermodynamics, which was a new field. And he he wondered about, uh, could there be a way of of controlling particles uh, in such a way that you would make them more ordered? We would use so-called entropy. Uh, would be lowered. That's a term used in thermodynamics. And he came up with a thought experiment, which became known as Maxwell's demon. It was actually not coined by Maxwell, but by his friend, Lord Kelvin, who I'm sure everyone has heard about. Uh, Maxwell apparently hated the name because it sounded very spooky. And in fact, the pictures are kind of spooky because they show this creature called the demon who could open a trap door and see the coming and going of every gas phase particle. And if it, let's say if it were going to the left, uh, it, it, the demon would open the trap door. But if it was not, then he would keep it closed. And in such a way, it could cause all the particles to move to one side of a chamber. Now, this caused a lot of debate. And people wondered, uh, could this really work? Uh, even Maxwell himself was ambivalent about it. He said, it's impossible to us. But I would say it remained a thought experiment, except for some very artificial demonstrations, until... Uh, basically until our work, because uh, we uh, proposed a one-way wall and, and, then, and then realized it experimentally in my group three years later, 2008. And, and the way it works actually realizes exactly Maxwell's thought experiment. What, what also made it interesting, and I'm, I'm a historic, history of science buff, so I found this particularly interesting, is that a friend of mine uh, sh- showed me a letter that Maxwell wrote to another friend of his, Lord Rayleigh, in which he says that the way this could work, roughly speaking, would be a self-acting device such that particles could go one way and not back. So Maxwell essentially realized in 1870 or 1871 that the only way his demon could really work in practice would be a device that just was one directional. And that's the construction that we came up with. So. It really. Um, um, one thing comes to mind. What if there was a, um, again, like a one-way door where you know a particle would impart a certain amount of energy to open the door, but now it would be in a lower energy state where it could not open the door the other way to go back through it. Is that kind well, of what you're right? Well, there, there are. In fact, what you're saying is kind of what we do. Uh, it's not just by energy, but we we control the internal state of the atom. That's how we construct this. We have a process that's irreversible. So when an atom crosses this one-way wall, it changes by virtue of a, of a, of a laser that the atom absorbs and then re-emits. And when it re-emits it, it comes out at a different state. And that state can't come back. So it's, a, it's, it's like a change of, of its internal state. That, that what, what state is that? Is that its spin or it's other factors? A, it's, a, it's, an, it's a different energy level of the atom. 
but it has a typically a different property. Like uh, we will often in most of our experiments, we used a magnetic field to to control the the uh, the, the wall. And in one internal state, the atom doesn't see the magnetic field, and in another state, it's repelled by the magnetic field. So when as it initially we put it in a state that it just doesn't see it and it goes through, but then it gets flipped into a state that's that that it sees a repulsive potential, and so it can't come back, and and that makes it work. So it's just a an automatic device. So could this be used to uh, to cool? Uh, gases even further than you're able to just by playing lasers. Yes. Well, what what the, applications would be? Well, uh, so our initial thought, and and in fact, it's still an interesting application. It is that this is an alternative to laser cooling of atoms. Uh, we could, in principle, use this to to cool atoms that otherwise would not be amenable to laser cooling. Uh, we could possibly cool uh, a much larger number of atoms than previously possible. So these are directions that are still being pursued. But what I realized around that same time, about 2008 or so, is that the the same uh, type of control could be applied to a completely different problem, and that is of separating isotopes of the elements. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, before we get into that, how does laser cooling work, and how close to absolute zero have you been, or has has the world record been? Is it down to like picokelvins or... Yeah, you know, oh, uh, like? it, it's a it's a long story that started in the 80s and uh, people were able to cool uh, initially down to around one millikelvin, a thousandth of a kelvin of, above the absolute zero. Uh, then they got into microkelvin and even nanokelvin. So atoms can be so slow that they're moving at millimeters per second, whereas um, atoms and molecules at room temperature typically are moving. A uh, thousand meters per second, so a mi- million times lower velocity. Yeah, that's amazing. What's um? So how does the laser cooling process work? Well, uh, it it uses the momentum of the photon. So the photon is the smallest particle of light. We think about light as being uh, quantized, uh, and when an atom absorbs a photon, it it gets a kick. It's just like if someone throws you a ball, you um, you catch it. And you recoil. That's conservation of momentum. Well, conservation of momentum works at every level, and it works at the atomic level. The ball here is the photon, and the atom is the is the catcher. And so the atom catches the photon um, momentarily, goes up to an excited state, but then it 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 gives it back. And, but it, when it gives back the photon, it does it in in a, in a random direction. And so every time it absorbs a photon, it gets a, a controlled kick. But on on average. When it emits it, it doesn't get a kick. And so using that, uh, you can, you can um, in a configuration that would take me too long to explain here, but you, could, you can uh, control the atoms and cool them down because you, you basically scatter at, uh, photons when the atom's motion is opposing the light. And so that's how you slow them down. Uh, but laser cooling is limited to atoms where you can do this, where you have uh, the ability to absorb and re-emit many, many times. But not all atoms are, are amenable to that method. What interesting properties do atoms have once they get to be uh, you know, down to nanokelvins? Well, you start to see, first of all, the wave nature of the atoms, so-called the de Broglie wave 
uh, particle wave duality, they behave very much like waves, quantum waves. They undergo a transition to a new state of matter, which has been called a Bose-Einstein condensate, predicted by Bose and Einstein in the 20s. Uh, and a Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded for that in 2001. If So that the study of atoms at very low temperatures is an active area of research. There are many, many groups around the world doing this. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital reaction hydrogen tablets transform ordinary water, or any non-carbonated drink, into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at tryvitalreaction.com. Okay. And the, the current world record is what, nanokelvins? And uh, temperature like is not necessarily the best measure because it really is uh, – at, at, when you get cold enough and the atoms undergo this transition to a Bose condensate, there is no meaning to temperature anymore. So it's, well, I know it's a distribution, but I mean, why is is there a push to go even lower? And what, no, there, what kind of no, there's no, be able to see if so. There is no push to go lower. You can't go lower than being once you're in a Bose condensate. There is no meaning to temperature because the, all the atoms occupy the lowest state of the trap. There is no thermal distribution anymore. Uh, but they are interested in understanding the properties of this uh, quantum state. It's it's a it's a many body quantum state. Nowadays, a lot of people are interested in controlling atoms towards building a quantum computer, uh, and that requires extreme cooling. So there are lots of potential applications, but my work kind of deviated from that. What would your, uh, I'll just call it a raisin's demon for the heck of it, but what would your method be allow you to do that currently can't be done? You said some atoms well, cannot be cooled yeah. this way. What else could you do? Well, uh, first of all, uh, laser cooling is only applicable to a relatively small set of elements in the periodic table, maybe 15 to 20 percent of the elements, whereas our method is applicable to almost the entire periodic table. So it's it, in that sense, it's more general. Also, in the, in the cooling of atoms, uh, laser cooling only gets you so far. And then what people did to reach actually reach all the way to Bose condensation is they employed a method called evaporative cooling, where you throw away the hot ones and then the atoms re-equilibrate by collisions, leading to this uh, new state of matter. But the problem is evaporative cooling causes a big loss of atom number. So you end up throwing away about 99.9% of your atoms, and the result is that the Bose condensate is rather small. So with our methods... Hmm we could make much, much larger Bose condensates, maybe even a million times larger. But that has not yet been done. So right now, we've made some progress on that, but it's still not yet worked. Well, what would you expect to see if you are able to make a large Bose-Einstein condensate, or maybe two that you can merge or have interact over a small distance? It's um, the experiments that one could do could test uh, certain predictions, and particular. There are theories that predict uh, the how 
how general relativity uh, and quantum mechanics can coexist. So general relativity deals with uh, the curvature of space-time. Quantum mechanics deals with uh, quantum objects where you can have a superposition principle. But the two are not really combined in one theory. And there's re recent work that says that if you could use separated Bose condensates, if they're large enough, then you could actually test some predictions. It's also been predicted that if the condensates are large enough, you could use them actually for detecting gravitational waves. Uh, so there are multiple groups around the world that are interested in this physics, and uh, but they all require a much larger number of atoms than currently possible. So that's where our work could come in. But I think you know, from first of all, I, I was I was happy that we could um, make a thought experiment come true because it wasn't clear for all those years, 140 years, whether Maxwell's demon is really possible or not. So I think we answered this conclusively that it is. But the key point, and, and this was the paradigm shift, is that what we showed is that the property of light that is important for our process is not the momentum of the photon, but rather the entropy of the photon, in the following sense that uh, entropy is a reflection of order. So when something's very ordered, it has low entropy. When something dis is disordered, it has large entropy. A laser beam is a, a very low entropy state because all the photons are going in the same direction. But when an atom absorbs light from a laser, it takes that and spits it out in a random direction. So the entropy of the photons goes up. That, that is what is working in our case. That's what makes our process of cooling possible. And because uh, ultimately we can't violate the second law of thermodynamics. That's something that we have to respect. Uh, and Maxwell himself recognized that Einstein emphasized that always. So. Uh, that is what allows to realize the demon precisely as Maxwell predicted, uh, but using the momentum, the rather the entropy of the photon, not its momentum. Yeah. What are the differences in, you know, isotopes? I know that some will be radioactive, some not, but what makes it difficult to separate them? So the, uh, the methods of separation date back to the 1940s. Uh, what makes them difficult is that isotopes of the elements um, these, these are, uh, the same element can have multiple stable isotopes. They differ from one another only by the number of neutrons in the nucleus. So they have nearly the same physical and chemical properties. And so you have to rely on some physical process to, to do the separation. The, uh, the one method that people have heard about is the gas centrifuge. Uh, but that's a very, very specialized device that is used mostly for uranium separation because of the, a gas phase molecule of uranium. But the rest of the periodic table relies on a very old technology called the calutron, which was invented by Ernest Lawrence in the 1940s. And uh, remarkably, that technology has not changed substantially for over 80 years. The problem is, is that the only large-scale calutron in operation today is in Russia. And I don't need to say, especially these days, how bad a situation that is. So we depend on, on all our isotope supply for medicine from Russian calutrons that even those are very old, were built in the 1950s. And uh, the machines are old, they're very inefficient. And now because of geopolitics, they are probably not going to even be available. That's where we, that's where our work comes in. Okay. So how, how is your, how would your system work to separate isotopes? So we use the same principle of of the one-way wall, but instead of cooling atoms, what we use it for is to um, 
to to redirect the atoms. In, uh, so essentially, it's like a mixture. You have two species or three species, and we use lasers and magnetic fields to separate them into their individual isotopic components and thereby achieve the separation. Um, it, it is very, very efficient. Uh, it works on on um, most elements in the periodic table, and it's in, 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 it's in comparison with the calutron, it's much, much more efficient. But the quantities are relatively small, which are appropriate for medicine. So what would be the benefit of doing this with high fidelity and reliably? What can we do that we can't do right now? Well, first of all, we can provide a domestic source of stable enriched isotopes. And right now, we depend totally on Russian isotopes. Uh, Secondly, these isotopes are used, uh, for example, to uh, produce cancer-fighting drugs. You start out with a stable isotope, you irradiate it in a nuclear reactor, and you transmit it into turning, turn it into a radioactive isotope or so called radioisotope. And that is attached to a targeting molecule, which will, when injected into a patient, will find and attach to cancerous tumors. And pharmaceutical companies like Novartis have invested a lot of money, many billions of dollars into certain drugs that will do just that. Uh, and in fact, just a very timely weeks, March, March 23rd of this year, FDA approved a cancer drug that was uh, developed by Novartis, which will use the isotope that we produce. Yeah, that's excellent. How long until this is not, well, I mean, there's the clinical side of it, but are there sides of it that, I guess this would be easier clinical application because you're, I mean, if you're going to do it on patients in their body, you know, to shrink tumors, that's one, one thing, but which applications do you think will be the first ones that it's used? Well, there are multiple uh, multiple drugs being developed. The the particular isotope that we have started with at the Pointsman Foundation is is one that they that they used. Let me back up a little bit because I introduced the concept of the term Pointsman Foundation. I have to explain that a little bit first. Uh, after we did after the the demonstration of the one way wall and Maxwell's demon and cooling. I realized that we could we could use this to separate isotopes, and I got some internal money to demonstrate this. And in 2014, we published that result. It showed that our method works, that it is as efficient as I said. It was patented and 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 published. Uh, but at that point, I decided that it really had to move out of academia into the real world. You know, one thing we could have done at that time, we could have started a company. Uh, I didn't really want to do it for various reasons at that time, especially because I felt that that some isotopes would have a business model, and so a, an entrepreneurial approach would work. But other isotopes uh, have no business model, but will save lives. And so that's when I decided to start a nonprofit foundation, which I called the Pointsman Foundation. It's actually a historical reference. Uh, the, the Pointsman of the Railways was the person who switched the tracks that was actually Maxwell's motivation for his idea of Maxwell's demon. He was intrigued by the idea that that you have this this uh, agent, this human agent, who could pull a lever or sw- to switch the track so a train would go one way and not another. And for Maxwell, that was the, the concept of free will. So he really, in in a real sense, was motivated by the pointsmen of the railways to come up with his demon idea. Uh, we have realized an atomic pointsman where we redirect the motion of atoms in a beam and separate them by their isotopic 
the composition, and therefore I call the foundation the Pointsman Foundation. That's excellent. What does it look like going forward? Well, so we have uh, incubated the first isotope at the Pointsman Foundation, and we have a board. I'm, I'm chairman of the board. We have a an excellent uh, other board directors, mostly medical doctors, each of them experts in different uses of isotopes. We have a president and CEO of the foundation. Uh, she is Marianne Rankin, who is uh, the former dean of natural sciences at UT Austin and then former provost at University of Maryland. And she has been involved and supported the, the isotope work from day one. And um, we uh, path has been to incubate first at the foundation level. And then when it reaches, it reaches a level of, of, of readiness, we spin off a for-profit company. And in fact, our first for-profit company was founded in January of this year. And it is a subsidiary of the Pointsman Foundation. So it is actually majority owned by the foundation. And that's a, a kind of unusual for-profit, non-profit model. Uh, but we're going to replicate this with other isotopes. And this will bring in a lot of revenue to the foundation. Uh, which will allow us to pursue other projects for which there is no business plan. For example, uh, preventing iron deficiency among children, which affects about 50% of all children in the world. And that's where my pediatric connection comes in. Uh, that's, that's extremely important. And it's clear that we can use stable isotopes of iron to address this, but it will take money. It's not going to make money. And, but that's where the Points and Foundation will have the resources to do this based on sales of other isotopes. Are there isotopes that um, inseparable and therefore pretty much useless that will become useful? Well, uh, you mean with our methods. There, the separation of, of stable isotopes has been possible. It's, I mean, that it's, not, it's not so much possibility, it's more of, a, of one of efficiency. But what I'll say is that, that one thing that is unique about our work is that we can actually take uh, radioactive isotopes and separate them after irradiation. And, and we can do this in situations where radiochemistry is not possible. So for example, when, when the element that you put in the reactor, um, the isotope rather that you put in the reactor is the same as the radioisotope, they're both the same element, then you cannot separate them chemically. But our method will work on that. And so that opens up a lot of new possibilities for, for, uh, for, radioisotopes that have not been available until now, or we can significantly bring down the cost in, of these isotopes and make them widely available. Okay, well, very good. That's very interesting. Do you have interest from other organizations? Is there a lot of interest in some of the applications? Well, yes, uh, we we have interest by uh, commercial entities. Uh, we have, uh, um, uh, in fact, we signed an agreement with a company based in Berlin, international company, and, and there's a lot of interest. And especially uh, since the conflict in Russia and Ukraine, uh, we've been getting a lot of interest because of the uh, real fear that Russian isotopes will simply not be available. Also, we have, uh, because of our board connections and our, we have an advisory board that has uh, two former directors of the National Science Foundation. We have two Nobel laureates on our on our advisory board. So, so we have uh, interactions uh, with with government and with academia. And there, I would say, there's a lot of interest in what we are doing. No, that's excellent, Mark. 
Very good. Um, where can people keep tabs on your work and the foundation? Where can they go? Well, our website is uh, www.pointsman.org, and you can look up. It has a general overview, and there is a, a talk that I gave uh, recently, just a few days ago, uh, at the University of Texas. It was broadcast over Zoom, and it'll be uploaded as a YouTube link, and uh, so people could watch my talk if they're interested in a, a more detailed presentation. Uh, and that'll be in the news section of the Pointsman website. Excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And it's uh, very interesting, the applications you're working on. You're very welcome. It's been my pleasure. Are nanobubbles the secret to optimal health, wellness, and mental performance? Over a thousand scientific studies say yes. Molecular hydrogen, or nanobubbles, produce the number one cause of cognitive decline, premature aging, and tired-looking skin by destroying the most damaging free radicals. Vital Reaction Hydrogen Tablets transform ordinary water or any non-carbonated drink into cell-optimizing hydrogen water. If you'd like to try hydrogen for the next 30 days risk-free, go to tryvitalreaction.com. Use the discount code GENIUS to save 20% on your first order. Note all orders are protected with a one-year money-back guarantee and include free shipping. So use the code GENIUS to save 20% on your first purchase at TryVitalReaction.com. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.